This text in 1 John brings us into a proverbial courtroom, if you will. And if you can kind of place yourself in this courtroom for a moment, you are the jury. And it's a one-person jury because the decision that you have to make, the verdict that you have to render, each one of us has to do that for ourselves. The question that is before you in this courtroom is the Gospel true? Is Jesus Christ the Son of God? Was He sent from heaven by His Father? Did He live perfectly, yet die criminally to atone for your sin? Was He resurrected? Did He defeat death? And is He alive today with God? And is He willing to forgive and care for you forever if you will turn from your sin and follow Him? That is the question that is before you in this courtroom setting. That's the decision that you must render for yourself. Is the gospel true? And on the witness stand, there is an elder statesman, and his name is John, also referred to as the beloved disciple. And he tells you that he is here to testify to you about the reality of Jesus and the truth of the gospel. Jesus, who he says existed from the beginning of everything, he is eternal. He is God the Son from the Father. That is John's claim to you. And he speaks for himself, but he also uses this word we, showing that collectively he is speaking for all of the apostles as well as other Christian witnesses in that day. And from this witness stand, he says to you, this Jesus we have heard. We have heard him. John heard his call to leave everything and follow him. He heard with his own ears the call of Christ to leave his father's business as a fisherman and follow Jesus. He he heard this man preach on a hillside the most famous sermon of all time, the Sermon on the Mount. John heard him speak privately words that none of us know because they've not been recorded in the Bible. John heard Jesus at the cross. He heard His agony. He heard His cries of pain. He heard His voice from the cross asking Him, John, to take care of Jesus' mother Mary. John says from this witness stand, this Jesus we have seen with our own eyes. John says, I have seen His face. John knows what Jesus looks like. John saw Him laugh. He saw His face when He cried. He saw His face when He was frustrated. He saw His face transfigured on a mountain. One of only a select group of people who saw this. His heavenly face. He saw the face of Jesus in His glory as God. 
He saw His crucifixion. He saw His burial up close. And two days later, John, standing next to Peter, saw an empty tomb. He tells you that from this witness stand. He says, this Jesus we have looked upon. Not just seen, but we've looked upon Him. It's a word that means observed. We have observed this Jesus. We have observed His manner of life. We have watched Him up close for years. That's what John is saying here. We saw His miracles. His signs. If you read the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John is all about the signs of Jesus. The miracles that Jesus did that proved His divinity, that He was from God. John said, we've looked upon Him. We saw how He dealt with people. We saw how He dealt with friends. We saw how He dealt with enemies. John observed Him abiding with His Father. John observed Him getting up early in the morning, staying up late at night on the edge of a lake in the mountains in a garden, spending time with His Father. We've looked upon this Jesus, John said. And then John says to you, we have touched Him with our hands. This Jesus is not a figment of our imagination. He's not a spirit. He's not a vision that we had. We physically touched Him. John walked with Jesus shoulder to shoulder. Spent time with Him. He hugged Jesus. He leaned on Jesus at the Last Supper. He embraced Him after His death. After the resurrection, John came up upon a water line and there Jesus was cooking Him breakfast, which He shared with Him after His resurrection. John says, we have touched this Jesus with our hands. He says to you from this witness stand that His life was revealed to us and now we are here to proclaim this to you. And our purpose in proclaiming this to you is that you might believe our witness. That you might believe what we have said so that you might have eternal life with us. That you might believe and be saved from your sin. And you might come to know Him yourself. Because He is alive and He is willing to meet you and fellowship with you if you believe this testimony. I start this sermon today that way in honor of how John presents these first four verses that we're looking at today. But I also do this because I want us to know as a church, yes, our Christianity is based on faith. We must believe. And there are certain things that we are called to believe that are mysterious, challenging to our senses, miraculous things that we can only truly embrace if we believe in our heart and have faith. We are told, Jesus told His disciples, you are blessed, you've seen Me, You've spent time with me. But then he said to them, let me tell you who is even more blessed than you. Those who will believe in me without seeing. So 
that is a part of our belief, that is part of our Christianity that we cannot get away from. But I also want us to know as a church that our belief is rooted in historical, physical evidence. And anyone who rejects Christianity, anyone who rejects this faith, has a burden of their own. A lot of times people say, the, they talk about well, it's, the, it's the burden of Christians to prove these things. It's the burden of those who follow this religion to prove it. But there's a burden on those who reject the faith. There's a burden on those who say Christianity is a falsehood. The burden that they have is they have to explain, or better yet, they have to explain away the eyewitness testimony of those who saw and observed and heard and touched Jesus before His death and after His resurrection. And these are witnesses who had nothing to gain. It's one thing to look at a group of people and say, well, look, they made the whole thing up. Look at what they got out of it. Look at the fame. Look at the fortune. These men received none of that. They held on to their witness and their testimony in spite of losing everything for it. They lost material goods. They lost their position in the community. They took on suffering for holding on to this testimony. All the way to death. They never wavered from this. The majority of these early Christian witnesses, the majority of these disciples, were murdered because of their testimony. Not all at one time. Not wiped out in one accident, in one group, in one year, in one day. But over decades, the older ones, seeing what happened to the younger witnesses and knowing that was their fate as well, yet they never stopped saying, Christ is alive. Why would they be willing to suffer to death to hold on to the testimony that we have seen and heard and observed and touched Jesus and He is alive and I submit to you it is only because it is true. And anyone who rejects Christianity has to deal with that in their own heart. But more importantly, you and I have to deal with that. John says, I've come to testify to you about Jesus. You're the jury. You have to decide your own verdict. Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe Jesus is alive? That's the question John puts before us. But John goes further. He makes clear that this relationship that he has with Jesus has not ended because Jesus has died. He has continued to know Jesus and love Him and have a relationship with Him. And if we date these letters correctly, John doesn't even know that he is going to have one more earthly encounter with Jesus, seeing Him in His resurrected glory again on the island of Patmos when he writes the book of Revelation. 
But in this letter, he is speaking to us about communion with Christ, the communion that he has with Jesus and the communion that all of us can have with Jesus today. And he uses one word to describe that communion, and it is the word fellowship. And it is his description of this fellowship that is going to be the focus of our time together today from 1 John 1. If you do have a Bible, if you'll go there, turn to 1 John chapter 1. And if you picked up one of the worship guides on your way in this morning, if you'll get those, if you're a note taker and you like to fill in the blanks to help walk through the sermon, you get those ready. John is speaking of fellowship, and I want to give us three things about this fellowship that John communicates to us as he speaks about it. First of all, John says this fellowship, in your notes, eternally exists between God the Father and God the Son. The fellowship that he is talking about, the communion that he is talking about, John says, has eternally existed between God the Father and God the Son. Now, I I want to say to you that I believe you can make a very good biblical case that this fellowship extends to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That is the basis of our Christian belief. That's what we believe here, that there is but one God. But in a very mysterious way that is hard for us to understand and explain, that one God exists in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I believe this fellowship that we're talking about exists between all of them, but John, in this text, speaks of this fellowship between Father and Son, and so that's where our focus is today. So look at verse 2. This life, he's talking about the life of Jesus, was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which is a a phrase John is using to describe Jesus. We proclaim to you Jesus, the eternal life, which was with the Father and made manifest to us. The way that he speaks about Jesus is he was with God. If you go back to verse 1, from the beginning. I am here to talk to you about that which was from the beginning, John says. So he is sharing to you about Jesus who was with his Father from the beginning. This is exactly how John opened his Gospel. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1 opens, In the beginning was the Word, a phrase he's using to describe Jesus. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And so the picture that we have is Jesus Christ and His Father and the Spirit have been together in fellowship from eternity. Jesus talks about this in John chapter 17. He says, God, my Father, would You glorify Me now in Your own presence with the glory that I had with You before the world existed. He's praying right before He goes to the cross, Father, return me to the glory that I've had with You from eternity. And in Matthew 11, Jesus tells His followers and those He is teaching, no one knows the Son of God except the Father of God, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So the picture from the beginning is fellowship exists between God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit. And the reason I'm stressing this to you is because as we talk about fellowship in the church, I want us to understand this is not a human construct. 
We did not develop the concept of fellowship. Not only that, but fellowship is not something God created to give to us. Had there never been a single human being made, fellowship still existed. This eternal fellowship, this eternal unity between Father, Son, and Spirit. I don't know that people have done it on purpose, but I remember growing up in Sunday school. I don't remember if it was exactly the way it was taught, but I just remember having this idea that the reason God created Adam and Eve is because He was lonely. No, he was not. He was eternally satisfied in fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But look at what happens. John speaks of a fellowship that eternally exists between God the Father and God the Son, and those who belong to Christ are received into this same fellowship. Those who belong to Christ are received into this same fellowship. That's just a a phrase that I wrote. There's no particular authority to that except it's amazing. Not the phrase, but the thought. When you come to know Christ, you are being invited into a relationship that has existed from eternity that has no need of you, but wants you to come into this relationship and enjoy it. Look at verse 3. John says, We are proclaiming to you that which we have seen and heard. We proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. John says, here's why I'm here. Here's why I'm testifying to you. Here's why I'm writing these things. Here's why I'm giving my life for the gospel. Here's why I've laid it down and relinquished worldly things. I am here preaching to you and talking to you because I want you to have fellowship with us. And the fellowship I'm talking about is the fellowship we have with the Father and the Son. It's the same thing that Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 24. He says, truly I tell you, whoever hears My Word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. Jesus says, anyone who hears what I'm saying believes in God the Father that has sent Me, that person has eternal life. He does not come into judgment because he has passed from death to life. We enter into this fellowship by belief. By hearing the Word that is proclaimed and believing it. And the Word that John is proclaiming, Jesus is proclaiming through Him. That's the picture. John chapter 17. I believe on the night of His arrest, Jesus is praying to His Father. Listen to the heart of Jesus as he is about to be arrested and tortured to death. Father, I desire that they, those whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus 
gave himself to torture and death that you might believe and get to experience and see the glory and the love that He and the Father had shared from eternity. He died for that. The most torturous death imaginable. He gave Himself to that so that you and I, sinners, who have done things and thought things that if they were to be exposed to everyone around us, we would wither away in shame. And Jesus says, I know all of that. And I know if I don't do this, you can't be with me, but I want you to be with me. I want you to be where I am. I want you to experience this fellowship that I have had with my Father and His Spirit. You can't imagine it. You can't picture it. But I want you to have it. And I am dying for that reason. This fellowship eternally existed between God the Father and Son, and it belongs to those who are received. Excuse me, those who believe in Christ are received in the same fellowship. And then thirdly, those who are received into this fellowship with God are now bound to one another for the fullness of their joy. Those who are received into this fellowship are now bound together bound to one another for the fullness of their joy. Look at verse 3 again. That which I have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship was with the Father and the Son. So John doesn't just say, we're doing this so you'll have fellowship with the Father and the Son. He says, We're doing this. We're proclaiming this. We want you to have fellowship with us, the believers, the church. And just know that that fellowship that we are walking in and that we share, it is from the Father and from the Son. We fellowship with them. And then he goes on in verse 4 and he says, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And the best sense of that term there is not John saying, We're talking about this so all of the eyewitnesses, our joy can be complete. But actually the best sense of that word is so all of our joy can be complete. Those who are speaking the testimony and those who are receiving the testimony. John says we're doing this because there is joy in the fellowship. There is joy in belonging to the fellowship with each other and with God the Father and God the Son. There is joy that may be, we want your joy to be complete. We're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. What does that mean? It means that without the fellowship that you are entering into, your life will be devoid of joy that God had intended for it. There is a joy that will only be yours, only be fulfilled, only be complete if you are in the fellowship of the saints. So I've said to you many times, we don't get to live 
if we want to be biblical, we don't get to live individualistic Christian lives. We're not just invited into a relationship with God the Father and Son and Spirit. We're invited into that relationship, yes, individually, but also together. There is no picture of fellowship without that. And there's some of us who, like, that's not an issue for us. Like, we love the church. Like, we love being a part of the church. And we're going to kind of challenge ourselves in a minute on why we love the church. But there's some of us that that's easy. But there's some of us it's not. And, and there's all kinds of reasons it's not. Sometimes it's personality. We're just kind of a loner. We're kind of introverts. We're kind of just not about people. Some of us, it's because of experience. Church hasn't gone well for us in the past when we've tried it. There's all kinds of reasons. And all I'm saying as your pastor is, those reasons may be true and significant, but they are not a worthy objection. They're not. In sympathy, we say, that's hard. It's hard to kind of be an introverted person and be told you can't just live an individualistic Christian life. That's hard. It's hard when you've had challenges and church has hurt you and people have hurt you. And the Bible says, but, but keep going. That's hard. And so we should acknowledge it's hard. We shouldn't be flipping about that. But the hardness of that reality is not an objection. You don't get to say, so I'm just going to go over here and do this by myself. Then we have to say, wait, (laughs) that's too far. Come back. Fellowship that you are being received into It's with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and His people. And God knows best. God knows what we need. And so we should submit to that. If we're going to follow Him, we have to do it His way. Trusting that His way is the best way. So the summary of this section is that fellowship exists in heaven between the persons of God, we are placed into that fellowship to enjoy it ourselves and to enjoy it together. And the fullness of joy comes as we live in this fellowship together. I would say to those of you who struggle with community and struggle with fellowship, when you enter into that fellowship and you find the sweetness of it, your joy will probably be even greater than those who don't struggle with it. There is joy to come in the midst of it. So look forward to that. Trust in that. And together, we live this fellowship and we even become agents of Christ to help one another deepen in fellowship. Jesus in all of us helps us to deepen our fellowship with the Father. So you have a stake in helping me deepen and have more joy in my fellowship with Christ, and I have a stake in helping you deepen and have more joy in your fellowship with Christ. And we could go around the room and 
point this out for everybody. That's the picture. John 13, 34, Jesus gives a very famous command, a new command, He says, to His followers. As I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So this morning we are starting a new series. We're going to be in this series for several weeks, months, probably two, I think it's 12 sermons in the series, I believe. And what we're going to be doing essentially from this point forward is exploring the biblical teaching on fellowship. The family of God, the fellowship that exists, what it looks like in the Bible. And I want this phrase, as I have loved you, you are to love one another. I want that phrase to be in our minds constantly as we go through this series. Because that's the picture. That's what we're striving for. Jesus saying, As I am loving you, now I want you to love one another. So, what is fellowship? We're going to spend a lot of time talking about it. We're going to spend several weeks talking about it. What is it? What is fellowship? So, next Sunday we're having a fifth Sunday fellowship meal. We're going to hang out after church. We're going to bring food. We're going to hang out. We're going to talk. We're going to share. We're going to eat together, right? And so sometimes before church, we have fellowship time. So we gather, we have coffee, we talk. Sometimes in our mind, that's what fellowship is. It's when we hang out. All right? And and so that could be part of it, but that is not what this word means. The Greek word behind fellowship is koinonia. Koinonia. And it's a very deep word. I think there's one person in this room over here to my left who was lucky enough to be here when I was the youth pastor and was in my youth group. And I broke all of our youth, our student ministry, into smaller groups in in youth. And so each one of them were placed into smaller groups of three to four people. And they were placed in these groups so that they would encourage each other in walking with Jesus and help each other pray and read the Bible. And we called them K-teams. Koinonia teams. I came up with that. Be proud I'm your pastor. Anyway, so koinonia, that word, that word, when you see it in the New Testament, it is translated many different ways, not just fellowship. It is translated as a sharing of a common life. It is translated as a participation in a common life. It is shared as a partnering in a common life. It is a very deep word, koinonia. Fellowship, sharing, participation, partnership. These are all images the Bible gives us for what the church is supposed to be. So how do we obtain fellowship? Where does it begin? In your notes, fellowship begins and is sustained by holding on to Jesus. That's the picture. It begins and it is sustained as we hold on to Jesus. I put a little phrase in your handout, conversations from faith. And that is really me trying to simplify what I think is the beginning of fellowship mentioned in Romans 10.9. If you are going to, and I want your minds for right now to be between you and Jesus. If you're going to have fellowship with Jesus, doesn't it make sense that you need to talk with Him and He needs to talk with you? Yes. You can't really fellowship with someone unless you converse with them. Unless you talk with them. And so Romans 10.9, when Romans 10 describes salvation, it says it this way. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. 
Paul writes there and basically says there's two requirements to begin a relationship with Christ, to have partnership with Him. Number one, believe in your heart He is Lord, that He was raised from the dead after dying for your sins. He didn't just die as a picture of God's love. He didn't just die as as a symbol of our faith. He died because God was pouring His wrath out on Jesus to atone for our sins. And in your heart, you have to believe that. You have to believe that Jesus is alive today and He is Lord. And if you believe that in your heart, and you believe that to the point that you then confess Him as Lord, well, who do you confess it to? First and foremost, Him. This is a picture of talking to Jesus. Of saying to Him, I believe. It's mysterious, it's challenging, but I believe. And I'm expressing to you that I believe. I believe in you. I believe you will care for me. I believe you will forgive me. I believe. And that is the beginning of fellowship. It's not just the beginning of fellowship, though. That's what sustains fellowship. Your Christian life is sustained when you get up every day and you believe that Jesus is alive and He hears you when you talk to Him. So you pray. And your fellowship is sustained when you believe that Jesus will talk back. That when you open this Word, He will speak to you. That His voice goes out in many different ways. So primarily the Word, but He also speaks through His creation. He also speaks through creatures. He speaks to you through others. And so when you open His Word and you read something and you just know, wow, this is jumping out at me. Because Jesus is talking. When you see something in creation and your heart is excited There's joy in you. and You praise Him. You know He is speaking. Sometimes someone says to you, maybe it's a preacher, maybe it's a teacher, maybe it's a friend, but something gets said and you're just like, oh wow, that wasn't just from you. That was from God. And what do you do when that happens? What do you do when you read something or you see something or you hear something and you know Jesus is talking? What do you do? You talk right back to Him. You pray. You pray about it. That is the abiding life. That is holding on to fellowship. You're not holding on to fellowship if that's not happening. If you're not speaking to Him, and you're not listening to Him speak to you, and you're not speaking back to Him, you're not holding on to that fellowship. That's how it begins. It's conversations from faith. It's conversations that you have with Jesus out of faith. Philippians 2, chapter uh, verse 15 to 16 says that the children of God are, are supposed to live faultless in a crooked generation. A crooked and perverted generation. Among whom they will shine like stars. That was what we talked about last week, being a light in the world. How do they do that? In the verse it says, by holding firm to the word of life. Who is the word of life? Jesus. The way you and I shine in the world, the way that you and I stand faultless in a crooked generation 
is we hold firm to Jesus. That's where fellowship starts. But this fellowship will grow. You can grow in your fellowship with Jesus and with His Father. So how does that happen? Well, in your notes, fellowship grows as we share in the life of Christ. Now I want you to get your mindset, not just thinking about your life with Jesus and with the Father, but also with each other. So how does this fellowship grow? It grows as we share in the life of Christ. And I realize that phrase is a little odd, but what does it mean? Go back to verse 3 again in 1 John. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son. Did you notice the tense He used there? He did not say our fellowship was with the Son. He says it is with the Son. John is saying, I still have fellowship with Jesus right now. I will submit to you, church, that John probably experienced greater fellowship with Jesus after his resurrection and return to Father than before. Because before, he still had a lot of doubts, a lot of things he didn't know, a lot of things he didn't believe. It was after he returned to the Father that John truly began to experience Christ in him, the hope of glory and fellowship You and I are not at a disadvantage because we didn't live in that day. You and I can experience that same fellowship. Jesus is alive and He is working. That's the point I want to make to you. He is alive and He is working. When you go to Acts, do you know who wrote Acts? Luke. Actually, some people even say that originally Luke, the Gospel of Luke and Acts may have been one book or at least presented as one letter. Luke wrote both of them. If you go to Acts chapter 1, verse 1, Luke starts Acts by saying, he's writing to someone named Theophilus, and he says, Theophilus, in my first book of Luke, I started dealing, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. That language presents to us that now what Luke is about to do is tell us about all Jesus continued to do and teach. Except Jesus is not physically present in Acts. It is the church that He is living through and teaching through and working through in Acts. My point to you is the way that we share in the life of Christ is we believe that Jesus is still alive and He is still working and He is working in and through His people that in a mysterious way, you can only believe in faith. Christ is in you. You are not a robot that Jesus is living through, but every good desire you have, every good thing you think about, every good thing you do, it is coming from Jesus who is in you. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Jesus said to His disciples, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We probably lose a little of what Jesus meant there because we're not an agricultural society as much anymore, but if you study that, that yoke, right, was the wooden device that was placed on usually oxen. 
And if you really study that, what they say is typical is that you would take a more uh, mature, older ox and you would yoke him to a younger, immature ox and then you would have them learn together. And the older ox would carry the weight of the yoke and the load and he would show and teach the younger ox how to do it. Not necessarily say Jesus is calling all of us ox, but I am saying that the point is take my yoke upon me, excuse me, take my yoke upon you means attach yourself to me and learn from me. I will carry the load. I will show you where to go. I will show you what to do. Church, is that your relationship with Jesus? Are you yoked to Him so that you are learning from Him and He is showing you where to go and carrying the heavy load? That's what it means to share in the life of Christ. He's still working. He doesn't have bad days. He doesn't have tired days. He doesn't have frustrated days. He doesn't have days where He doesn't feel like praising His Father. He doesn't have days where He doesn't feel like praying for the church. He doesn't have days where He doesn't feel like like taking and proclaiming the Word. He doesn't have issues the way we do. So when we have those days, we are invited, receive the life of Christ. Pray to Him. Ask Him for help. As we do that, as you learn to do that, you're sharing in the life of Jesus. That phrase that I gave you earlier, John 13, 34, as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Don't just think of that as, okay, let, let me go and let me see how Jesus loved people. This, this looks hard. Okay, now I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this well. I'm going to do it better. I promise you, Jesus, I'm going to get it right. You've already messed it up. Sorry. It's just already done. No. Every single day, wake up and learn how Jesus loves you. Every single day, look at your life and see how He loves you. He gives you the sunset or the sunrise. He gives you the cool breeze. He gives you the good food. He gives you the job, the energy, the strength. He gives you your family. He gives you the Word. He gives you gifts. Every day He's screaming out to you, I love you, I love you, I love you. When you sin and you mess up, He forgives you. When you react wrongly, He is kind to you. He says, this is how I love you. Now, you're yoked to me. Alright, so now let's go do this. And when, 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 when something happens and someone offends you and you say, oh man, I just want to drill them. And he says, wait, but what are we learning? What, what am I showing you? What am I teaching you? As I love you, you love others. Take what you're seeing from me do it with others. That's the picture of that command. That is sharing in the life of Christ. And church, we're supposed to do that together. When we do that together, it deepens our fellowship with Jesus. A couple other ways, I'm, I'm going to go through these quickly, but other ways we share in this life, other meanings of koinonia, because we will cover these in this series. We grow in fellowship when we participate in His suffering. Jesus, His call to salvation was... Pick up your cross and follow me. Which means when you follow Jesus, you're going to have to die to yourself. There's going to be things that you want to do, you're going to have to lay down. There's going to be desires you have, you're going to have to crucify. 
But there's never anything that you will give up that Christ will not replace with greater joy. He also says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. The reason the world hates you is because you're tied to me and the world hates me. So we participate in His suffering and when we do, it deepens our fellowship with Him. You might one day lose a friend or lose a job or or lose something because of your love for Jesus. You might one day have to crucify some desire that you have, some, some sin that you have that you want to hold on to. You might have to crucify it in your following of Jesus, but when you do, your fellowship with Him will be deepened. And our fellowship is deepened when we partner in His mission. When we partner in His mission. Back to verse 2 and 3 in 1 John. The life was made manifest. We have seen it. We testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us and with the Father and the Son. Church, personalize that. You are now the ones who are supposed to tell people what you've seen, what you've heard, what Christ has done. And you do that so that they may also receive fellowship with you and with the Father and the Son. Matthew 28. Go into all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The fellowship of God, if you will. And teach them to observe all I've commanded you. I am with you always. When you go and share the gospel, when you go and shine light, when you go and tell people what Christ has done, you are partnering with Him in His mission and you're deepening in fellowship. Mm -hmm. My goals for this series ultimately is to deepen our understanding of fellowship so that we grow in it and we do it better here. We live in fellowship better in this church. I also want to be very expositional during this series. What I mean is I want to have a chunk of Scripture that we look at every week, and from that Scripture we derive our understanding of fellowship. But I have one more goal. I want to be as raw and transparent with you as I can about the challenges we face in trying to obtain fellowship in the church. And specifically, I mean, I want to be as raw and transparent as I can about the challenges we face at Agape. I may at some points be more pointed than I normally am, perhaps. But my reasoning for that is I want us to grow and deepen in this fellowship. So I'm going to do a little of it this morning to wrap up in this live truth. I put in the live truth, I put a parenthesis and I put summary. The reason I put that is because what I'm about to say in this life truth is essentially a summary of this message. I hope to every week in this series give you a life truth that is basically a summary of the day. And I hope it will help you to go back and look at these messages and learn the point of them. There's two sentences in this life truth, so I'm going to pause between them and explain. Our primary relational aim in a local church should be This fellowship. And what I mean is the fellowship that we just talked about. Our primary relational aim in a local church should be this fellowship. All right, so just 
Real quick, let me explain what I think sometimes happens. Let's, let's, let's pretend for a moment you want to build, you want to build a life in the church. So picture the life in the church that you want to have. You want to be a part of a church. You know you should be. Picture that as the house, okay? The framework, the rooms, all of that. The first thing you need to do is what? Lay foundation, right? Let me tell you what sometimes we do. We go, I've got to find the place. If I'm going to build life in the church, here's what I got to do. I got to find a place where I'm welcomed, where I fit in, where my personality matches people's personality, where I feel like I'm seen and appreciated and where my needs are met. And and when I find that place, now I'll be able to worship with those people. I'll be able to join with those people and I'll be able to build this life in the church. And what I want you to see there is when we do that, we have flipped the two great commandments. And we have started our building of a foundation by trying to find where we fit relationally. And that's not fellowship. Here's what fellowship is. I need to find a place where I can worship God. I need to find a place where they love Jesus. I need to find a place where they teach the Word. I need to find a place where they praise God from their hearts. I need to find a place where Christ is center. And if I find that place, I will have relationships with those people. Regardless of their personality, regardless of whether we always get along, regardless of whether they always see me, regardless of whether I always feel connected, I know I'll be okay there if at the core we love Jesus together. I'm not telling you friendships are not important. I'm not telling you it's not important to be seen or to be loved or to have our needs met. We should do those things. We will see in this series we're commanded to do those things. But what I'm trying to say to you is the primary relational aim in a local church should be fellowship with God the Father and God the Son. If you try to join a local church to find a place to have all your relational needs met, you will never be satisfied in a church your whole life. You will bounce from one church to another church to another church because you're starting in the wrong place. You're starting with me. We're supposed to start with Jesus. Find the place that loves God and worships God and honors God and where people care about the Word and Jesus is able to take care of the rest. I'm not saying it won't be hard, We have a responsibility to one another. We have a responsibility to fellowship. We do. It's important to come. It's important to go to small groups. It's important to care for one another. It's important to engage with one another. We have responsibility to one another. But it starts with that shared common life of Jesus. Love Jesus together. If we just want to find a place we fit and we connect... And we got a lot of friends. The world can do that. You can find a community club to do that. First and foremost is fellowship. First and foremost is loving God together. And then the second part of this life tree. The strength of our fellowship with one another 
will be determined by the maturity of our fellowship with Christ. The strength of our fellowship with one another will be determined by the maturity of our fellowship with Christ. Remember, it all starts with Father, Son, and Spirit and us being a part of that. There are times where we struggle in community with one another, and it, it is very legitimate. There are relational issues. There's an offense that's happened. There are personality struggles. Those things are real. Okay? But listen, there are some times where we struggle in community and we struggle in church and we say, I just, I don't fit there. I don't get along there. I don't match with those people. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't do church. And we're looking around and we're, it's everybody, it's everybody's fault around us when the real issue is we need to look up. Because what happens is we dwindle in our relationship with the Father. And the moment that happens, when you start dwindling in your fellowship with God, beyond any shadow of a doubt, what will follow next is you will dwindle in your fellowship with other believers. It will happen. Sometimes the issue, church, sometimes the issue with our connection and our relationships is that we are not walking in fellowship with God. We are not being loved by Jesus so that we can love others. I'm not saying that's always the case. Hear me. Yes, sometimes there are very real relational things that happen in churches. But what I'm saying is, the moment you find yourself in conflict with someone in a church, the moment you are struggling relationally in a church, start by looking up and asking if your fellowship with God is what it should be. John said, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. This is the line I'll I'll draw and I'll plant my flag there and I'll, I'll, I'll stay with it. I won't move from this. Community's hard. Fellowship's hard. But if we are determined to love God better together, there is no relational issue that can withstand that. If you are determined to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength with the people you're in fellowship with, there's no relational issue that cannot be worked through. None. Because Jesus is able to resolve it when we love Him together.